When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back for another great week. I am Dr. Derek Williams. I'm really excited for this week's episode. Uh, today I've brought on an exceptional dentist and uh, one that I've been working with for a while, Dr. Melanie Villalobos. How are you doing today, Melanie? I am doing great. Just got done with work, so this is a very raw and real interview here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would have just come in off the beach surfing or something. I thought you didn't really work very much. Yeah, none of us work, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, uh, before we jump into stuff today, just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, uh, where you grew up, dental school, and your current practice situation. Awesome. Yeah. So I grew up in San Diego, California, hence the getting right off the beach and surf question. <laughs> um, right. I went to Western U of Health Sciences in Pomona. And I did an additional year of residency at OU Medical Center. And as of August 9th this year, I'm a one-year private practice owner. And what a year we have started off with. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I know. <laughs> Talk about getting yeah. thrown into the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, e even people that have been practice owners for 20 years, you know, it's still this huge curveball that really no one's known how to negotiate. So sometimes it's interesting. Um, I've been talking to patients and stuff as some kids have started going back to school and even talking to some kids. And it seems like the kids adapt really pretty quickly. And, you know, I'll ask them, what's it like to go to school with a mask? And they're like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's normal, it, you know, and they don't think anything of it, you know, and it just makes you think of, how quick kids are to adapt to situations like that. So, I mean, it's possible that you being in the first year of ownership, you're so that change and variety is almost, is almost like the norm so that, you know, you might do better in a situation than someone that has been practicing for a long time. I hope this isn't the normal way, but <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely has me in a, in a different way of thinking about everything though. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. So before we get into today's topic, uh, could you just simply talk about how you found us at TLP and uh, how you decided to, to work together? Yes, of course. Uh, so I started diving into dental podcasts last year. I was in the process of trying to purchase a dental practice. I wanted to get in the mindset of a practice owner before purchasing a practice because honestly, I was so overwhelmed. I didn't know where to start. And just organically, I found your podcast when I was searching one day. And the first episode in, it really kickstarted the fire in me that this was tangible. And an average person like me could purchase a practice and build it into a lifestyle practice. So from that, honestly, I listened to a lot of podcasts. You guys were the most real and honest group that I listened to. I purchased my practice a month later. And I decided to work with TLP when you were all talking about how you wish you had a coach early on in your practice ownership. And 
you wish you didn't wait. You wish you had them sooner. And as a new owner, hearing others' real perspectives on their journey has been paramount for me. I feel like TLP's process is realistic. You all are straight shooters and you have gone through or are going through the same things we all are. And other coaches I looked into, it really seemed intimidating. And it was almost as if they were coming in and taking over. And I wanted this to be a more organic process. And as a new owner, I needed to be the face of this process with my team and not someone else. And I wanted to start off in the right direction. And I've not regretted this decision. And I think that was one of the first conversations on our initial talk that we had, because I still wasn't sure how this was going to work. And you talked to me and said, no, this is, you're going to be the face of this. I'm here to help you every step of the way, but this is going to be you. And as it should be, you know, you're the leader. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's a, it's really interesting that you bring that up and say it in that way. It's interesting that you feel like other coaches or consultants seemed intimidating because they were coming in and taking over. There are some dentists that would feel more comforted by the the fact that someone might be coming into the practice and, and taking over more. And I remember actually feeling like that a little bit. So the the first consultant that I hired, she came in and and she started to kind of run the show a little bit and at first I thought, "Oh, this is this is nice. I'll just kind of sit back and and see what happens." And then I started to see changes that I that were not the direction that I wanted to go. The consultant's approach was very cookie cutter and and I also felt like my leadership skills were not growing at all because I wasn't being pushed to really lead my team. Yeah. Yeah. I even think one I, very recent episode, there was, you guys had mentioned about like getting uncomfortable to get comfortable. And it, that just really resonates and reminds me of like that first day talking to you because I've, I've gotten uncomfortable, but I'm comfortable now. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. The more that you can push yourself outside that comfort zone, the more normal that becomes, the more that you experience it. And uh, that's what allows for growth to take place. But I really appreciate you sharing that, uh, you know, you felt like it was very real and it helped you to feel like it would allow you, it helped you to believe that this was something that you could achieve. And I think that's a pretty common theme that we that we hear with clients and that we hear kind of on this show is that essentially anyone can achieve great things and get their lifestyle practice if they're willing to put in the work to create it. Yes. Yes. I remember talking to you that first time on the phone and um, it's often one of the, the most common questions that we get is, you know, what is the working relationship going to be like? Are you going to come into my practice and and train my staff, you know, and it's a lot about like what that working relationship is going to be like. So I was wondering if you would just take a minute and kind of just share from your perspective, because I mean, it's easy for me to say what we do, but if you can share from your end, what the coaching experience has been like so far, you know, how do we start off? How often do we talk phone, email, text, accountability, questions like that? So I would say you're always available anytime I need. (laughs) And it's great to have that. But we do do at least once a month a big baseline of 
going back to things that I needed to discuss and organize and get your thoughts, ideas, and help. And also new topics that have come up for me. And the process, I, I would explain it as a productive brainstorm, well thought out plan of action every time we talk. And I feel like that is really valuable in this process, especially because you're a practice owner. I don't feel like the advice or the you know plan of action that you give me is something that I can't do or I don't do it because you lived it or you have other dentists that have or have been in the same situation. There's such a huge knowledge bank there. So I feel like even if I have a question or something, I always just text or email you and you um, are always available. Um, so I feel like really it's more of a conversation and someone that I can really just get that feedback from that I can't get from anybody else. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I feel like you can really allow for the most growth when it is more of a conversation. If, you know, if if we just if we both showed up and it was me just telling you, okay, here's steps 1 through 10 and this is how you're going to do it. Um again, that's it's it's more hand-holding and the whole goal of this relationship is that after we've finished our time together that you've learned and you've gone through the the process enough times that, you know, we're really helping you to figure things out so that when our time is through, you can keep on going. You know, it's it's the difference between give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day versus teach a man to fish and he'll he'll eat for a lifetime. But uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, I it's a really fun relationship and I enjoy troubleshooting and, and working through the different things and seeing progress in a lot of different ways, in lifestyle, in, in leadership skills, in income. There's so many different ways that, uh, that you can grow. So, yeah, I do want to add too. you're also just very candid and you are, you will say it like it is and you, you're constructive you give constructive criticism, I'm sorry, which is great feedback for me because, you know, if you're the leader of the team, it's really hard to get that feedback. And I need that from somebody. <laughs> yeah. If uh, I figure if you're paying me and we're going to do this, I have an obligation to be honest and to try and share anything that I feel could be helpful with to you, even if it might be tough to hear. And there's sometimes where I'll say something. I'll say, you know what? If and if this isn't for you, that's okay. We can work around it. But uh, you know, here's an opportunity to grow if we want to if we want to approach this this way. So yeah, cool. The way that this this episode all kind of came about is that uh, for the listeners out there, Melanie and I were recently having a uh, one of our monthly calls and we're discussing a few things. And I just had this thought, man, this would be really cool to share some of these things on an episode. So at the end of the call, I threw the idea out there to Melanie and she was totally on board and I was super excited about it. So during, during the pandemic, as most of our income as dentists was put on hold, we at TLP, we had clients that were in different situations. Some wanted to put coaching on hold for a period of time Others wanted to take advantage of the extra time, and we tried to be very accommodating to everyone. But for those who wanted to put things on hold, 
we've had some catching up to do. So one of these recent calls with Melanie, we were catching back up to speed on everything. But uh, one of the first things that really caught my attention was how many times I kept hearing you, Melanie, talk about the good things that came out of the pandemic and the shutdown and everything. So can you just elaborate a little bit, share share some of those things that you felt like were good that came out of this whole situation? Yes, of course. So we were closed for almost three full months and we just reopened in June. And I will say that having this unexpected time allowed us to essentially just push a reset button. And instead of putting our heads in the sand, we used it to essentially become a better team and a more productive practice. Um, We used it to our advantage, actually, because we wanted to hit the ground running when we could open and just like everyone else, keep our small business open. There were and there still are so many unknowns, but I wanted to be able to take control of what I could and not just bury my head in the sand. Like I said, my staff condensed and we actually tightened up. I had some staff leave, some a lot for the better, but I was able to restructure a lot of roles for everyone to be more productive with their time now that we were smaller. The previous owners, she still works for me in the practice and plans for them were actually accelerated for them to scale back sooner than anticipated. I essentially just made a clean slate with our schedule to actually start earlier and we leave earlier but our day is now way more productive. Overhead actually went down, which I was shocked. (laughs) Initial costs to set up practicing safely with COVID were high, but staff costs actually went down. And then I also used my time off to see where I could trim the fat. So just, I renegotiated monthly expenses for things like our internet. I think I got it down $150 less and I just had time. So I just went through each little thing to see where I can condense everything. And so it was a lot of those little things in, that I was able to do a lot of these changes and resets. Because honestly, I thought coming into a, a practice that was already established, this was going to take me a lot longer to do a lot of these things. But with this happening, I was able to just wipe a clean slate and essentially have my own new practice with this and start start it from the beginning. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really cool perspective. So we had been talking about this and kind of talking through all these things. And I, like I said, I just kept hearing all these positives. And it's almost like I just felt the need to kind of like put a pause on the progress of the call. And I said, I told you, I said, I just want to ask a, a question that I'm curious about. And I said, do you feel like this, all of these positives have come because of your positive outlook and optimism that, you know, because of your mindset, it's allowed you to come out better on the other side of this, or, you know, these, these things would have just happened anyway. Do you remember when I asked you that? Or do you remember your answer? Oh my gosh. Yes. It's funny. Cause I laughed because I was, I was really shocked. And I said, I'm such a pessimistic, pessimistic person. Because when this all happened, I was like, we're closing our doors, we're going to lose money, like everything I was just thinking in like this dark hole. And I actually don't even consider myself optimistic. I always consider myself a pessimist, like I said, and I just always plan for the worst case scenario. So for example, to get to my office, I have to drive over a huge blue bridge over the ocean. It's 200 feet at the top. And I was talking to my friend... (laughs) 
<laughs> and she said, do you ever get nervous that you might go off the edge into the ocean one day? Like, what if you're really tired? And I told her, well, you know, if my car falls, oh, it falls off the bridge and I'm stuck in the car, sink in the ocean, I'll be able to knock out my windows easily. Like, and I pulled out this little tool I had and I said, I've got a window breaker <laughs> and it's got a seatbelt cutter and I can just swim out the, there and start waving. You know, I can just go swim if my leg's not broken. And she just looked at me and she said, why would you even think like that? You're such a pessimist. And I said, no, I'm just prepared. And then it was that from that conversation with you and then thinking of that conversation, I went, wait, I actually... I'm a planner. I don't have to have this pessimistic mindset or think that I'm pessimistic. It's not me being pessimistic. (laughs) And my mom always told me, have a plan B. And my Navy father always told me, never leave without a plan. So kudos to them for preparing me to run a business in a pandemic in my first (laughs) and not even know it. (laughs) Yeah. It was uh, it was really interesting to hear your response, and it was really interesting introspection. And I feel a lot in common with you in this respect. But I guess I viewed it, I viewed myself differently. You shared that you don't consider yourself an optimistic person as much as you do just having more of kind of like a, a relentless attitude. You think through the worst case scenario, and you find a way to work through finding success, even in those situations. And in my mind, I think that's an optimistic person, you know, so I think I think through the worst case scenarios of different things, too. I think I get it a lot from my dad, because that's, I mean, he's always thinking through those kinds of things. I actually really enjoy talking to him about my plans and goals, because he'll play devil's advocate and try and poke holes in my theory and thoughts. And it's not because he's trying to be negative, but because he wants to see if there's, you know, other ways of seeing it. And if, you know, if that helps, helps me to become prepared for other alternate uh, scenarios. I think a lot of, if you can allow yourself to think through a worst case scenario, and then you can think through what your response is going to be, that is going to help you to become more confident and to have that relentless mindset where you know that even in the worst case scenario, you're going to come out on top. Yes. Yes. So this actually came up later in our call when we were discussing a situation with one of your staff members. Could you share a little bit of the details of what this was and kind of how we talked through it? Mm-hmm. So one of my long-term employees, she's absolutely amazing. I wish I could call her. They are planning to retire in the next few years. And I did really fear losing them. And I had a bit of anxiety because I didn't know how to think through that plan. Because with someone with that knowledge and experience, I pretty much just asked Eric, I said, how, how do we plan for this? And I, I'm not even sure where to start. And during our call, we talked about you know essentially having everyone participate in creating a training manual for their position. So if someone does leave, I know and our team knows exactly what they do or did and use it as a reference. And that's not if they leave, but like, you know, if they're sick or, you know, something unexpected happened. And, you know, even with COVID going on, we might have someone that has to go out unexpectedly. So that was a huge, helpful plan for me that I've started implementing. 
and working through. And then also just, we also discussed, you know, retaining staff that are in those positions who, who aren't sure if they're wanting to stay long-term by appreciating them in their role in the office now, uh, making sure they know their value in our team. And so they want to stay long-term. And being upfront, you know, being candid with them, is this something you see yourself you know, being in this role long-term or what can I do to help you get more comfortable in this role? And allow you to stay long term in this role, and you know it's funny. It's it seems so simple. Just ask them, but there's that like uncomfortable conversation that I was. I think I was hesitant to have, but I think just talking through that plan, I became comfortable with it. And I said, you know, that's what we need to do. It's part of my plan, and execute it. So, just talking through it honestly was immensely helpful for me. Yeah. So. We basically went through that exact thought process of looking at the worst case scenario while also, you know, kind of hoping for the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that they leave and then it leaves a hole that you have to fill. And this is this is tough, but we discussed that we could prepare for it by having employees create the training manuals for their position. And, and that helps out, like you mentioned, in a lot of other ways, if someone's got to be out for a week or something like that. And uh, obviously, it's not going to clone that person, but it is going to help to take a lot of the work out of having to train that person in their specific duties. Yes, yes. And then the opposite, the best case scenario is that they stick around long term. And so, you know, we talked about trying to find ways to encourage their behavior. Um, you know, part of this is the financial compensation by setting up the bonus system. Part of it is, like you talked about, just having candid conversations with them. Let them know that they're valued. Give them specific roles and and duties that you depend on them for. Ask them for feedback on how you can support them more. You know, all of all of these things go into helping to have them be motivated and enjoy their job and, and want to stick around long-term. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So again, it's going into it kind of with both things in your mind. You kind of come up with these two scenarios, the best case scenario. Okay, how can we make this best case scenario our norm? You know, it's the same a lot of times when we're looking at production. You know, we have this really good month and maybe we're nervous about the, the next month, what's going to happen. Well, first, let's talk through, okay, how do we maintain this as much as possible? How do we keep these great numbers going? How do we keep the schedule filled? And we kind of talk through those things. And then we also look at worst case scenario, you know, if, if the schedule falls apart, well, then we start looking at same day treatment, adding things there. We look at marketing, we look at, you know, a lot of different things so that essentially we're, again, we're looking at both of those. We are hoping for the best case scenario and making preparations to make that happen. But then we're also acknowledging that there is also a worst case scenario possibility, but we can prepare for that as well. So while I've got you on here, I wanted to ask a couple other questions that are common questions from listeners. The first one is just that, you know, what's it like to practice in a competitive environment like San Diego, 
you know, what would you tell others that are considering practicing in a more competitive environment that is more where they'd like to live versus somewhere else uh, that may have more opportunity for growth? Yes, great question. Um, so honestly, I knew I wanted to practice here and live in San Diego because I grew up here and my entire family is here. So this is my home. I enjoy being here because it's where I want to be. And I feel like that contributes a lot to my purpose of staying in business and putting the work into my practice every day. So I never let the idea of this being a competitive place stop me from practicing here. So I actually got turned down by seven banks before one even said yes to getting me the loan for the, my practice. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was going to figure it out how to make it happen. And just like with everything I do now, I figured out a plan how I was going to do it. So I'm a bread and butter practice and we don't do anything crazy that anyone else can't do. So you just have to do it and you have to be able to put in the hard work to get there. I definitely have had to make really hard decisions and sacrifices for the betterment of my long-term goals, but it's been completely worth it to get to a practice where I want to be. So I would say my advice, if a place you want to live is highly competitive, just start reaching out to different offices and talking to the owners if they're planning to sell or retire. Purchasing a practice, I would say, that's already established Established there with a great reputation can be really beneficial in these types of areas that are competitive. And then invest in grounding yourself with solid mentors and coaches like TLP, great financial team. And I think, you know, just being in a place you know you love working every day and having that purpose, it's you're going to have that drive forever. I think for me, anyways, for life. And I actually did residency in Oklahoma and I lived in Tennessee and I, with thoughts of potentially practicing out there because I let that idea of California being so competitive that I thought I just couldn't do it. And I and kind of had that in the back of my mind. If I couldn't get to California, maybe I'll stay out here. Then I had a thought and I said, you know what, if I'm going to be putting in the hard work in a practice anyways, why not do it 110% in where I want to be and just figure out how to get there? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's funny. I didn't, I actually didn't know that you returned met down by seven banks before <laughs> one said yes. <laughs> that may have scared me a little bit. Ooh, yeah, no. And the crazy thing was the bank that did accept me, it was like the longest application, it, like 900, I felt like checks and, you know, financial statements and all these things. And I was like, this one for sure. I'm not there. Why am I filling this out? <laughs> like, this one, yeah, this is not happening. And that was the one. <laughs> yeah. And interestingly, when I applied for financing for, for my practice, the banker actually, you know, I did a call with him where we reviewed everything. And he said, I don't know, you know, you must see something in this practice that I don't see because I, I don't see anything special about this, this practice. And, you know, obviously I grew it very rapidly. So my analysis was at least somewhat correct if I was able to <laughs> grow it pretty quickly. But again, you know, bankers and, you know, sometimes people on looking from the outside are not going to see the same potentials. It doesn't mean that we don't take, you know, what they're saying into consideration because there's a lot of times that they may be able to offer a, a better perspective from a different light that's going to allow you to see different things that you didn't before. So 
uh, again, kind of continuing this same theme, you know, in your situation, if these banks are turning you down, that's showing that there's probably some concern. But if that if that allows you to take a look at things and say, okay, well, here's my plans and I'm going to make it work. And I think I think that's exactly what you did. I think your story is really so central to TLP because we always talk about looking at your desired lifestyle first and then having the practice create that. And you really took that to heart, even though, you know, you, it sounds like you had probably decided on practicing in San Diego before you'd really got into TLP very much, but it's just, it's just cool that that idea really resonates with you. Yeah. And I will say too, one thing that was helpful is because this is a bread and butter practice and you had a previous doctor on and he said, you know, we don't do anything crazy. I'm not like placing all these implants and I'm not doing these crazy cosmetic cases. And, and then I kind of thought back and I said, well, you know, okay, it's, you know, you don't have to have the, a immensely crazy practice you can have just a solid practice and build it up and make it your own and be productive and love it. Yeah, that's great. The one last question that I wanted to ask that I think we would probably hear a lot of potential buyers or people that are looking to own a practice would ask is, uh, in the practice that you bought, part of your contract was for the seller to stay on. I just wanted to, if you could kind of comment on how that's gone, what would you say to anyone considering this type of of contract with a practice purchase? Of course, yeah. So this is a little bit of a longer answer. I would say for my short answer, I don't recommend it. But I have to preempt my answer and say that the practice I bought was the practice that I actually grew up in. And the dentist was my dentist. And so they knew my family and myself very well. And I had been talking to my dentist for five years prior before I bought it. And a few other doctors around San Diego as backup plans in case this didn't pan out. So for the most part, it's been pretty well, but we're super unique. Like I said, we're in a very small community where I practice and we have a lot of mutual relationships with our patients. So many of them feel comfortable with both of us and we both have a very similar treatment philosophy and they already had their retirement work-life goals, and personal life changes in motion prior to the sale even happening. So we had planned out how we were going to transition before the sale even took place and how we were going to make this work. So it benefited me and them, and especially because I'm the new owner. And, and like I said, I personally don't think this would work for anybody else. And it, it did work for me. It did work for me because I've had these prior relationship with her and a lot of our patients already. So I think the key in our partnership, we have open communication. They're very flexible on all fronts and essentially was very open to just switching the role and switching that light. And I am in a mentor group here locally in San Diego with some younger doctors, and that has not been the case with them in really difficult transitions. So if I were to do it again and I did not have this relationship, like I said, I, I wouldn't have them stay on because I could see where a lot of this could go haywire and add more stress to you know, your first year of practice. <laughs> yeah, like you guys have sure. said uh, and stories I've heard from all of you. <laughs> yeah. And 
I mean, a lot of times we'll say there's there's no right or wrong. There's just different pros and cons to these different scenarios. So yeah, I think your feedback is pretty valuable in in hearing that. And I know that there's been some challenges that we've worked through, but you're, you know, the seller that you've had has been pretty amenable to a lot of changes and different things that you've wanted to work through. So yeah, I, I think that's great advice. And again, it's it kind of goes back again to this same thing that we've been talking about, that it wasn't the perfect scenario, but it is it's basically what you needed to have it work out in your scenario. It's the practice that you wanted to be in, it's the place that you wanted to be in. And you're an excellent, an excellent example of choosing the dream first and then learning to make it a reality. So I'm proud of you. I mean, it's, it feels weird to, to say that, but I appreciate it's really, that. yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a really, long year. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a lot of times in that, in the very beginning is it feels so overwhelming, but year after year, it gets easier. There's, you know, you've trained your team more. So there's a little bit less work. Things flow a little bit more. And yeah, I'm excited for you. I think you're going to be able to just continue to to grow and head in that same direction that you want to go. And you guys, obviously, you have been immense in helping me. And I think the moment we talked and you told me when I first took over, I mean, when I got my practice, I felt completely overwhelmed. And it it almost made me feel at ease because I, I felt alone and feeling that overwhelming yeah. <laughs> feeling <laughs> the first few months. Yeah, it can it can feel very lonely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today, Melanie. If anyone wanted to reach out to you and, you know, pick your brain or ask any questions, uh, do you have any any way that would be reasonable for people to get in touch with you? Yes, of course. I'm an open book. So, um if you want to email me, my email is dr dr M-E-L-A-N-I-E-V at gmail.com. Dr. Melanie V at gmail.com. All right. Awesome. awesome. Well, uh, thanks a ton for joining me today. Uh, it's been a blast. And like I said, I'm excited to see where things go. Yeah. Hope that all of you out there have enjoyed this podcast. Have a great week and we will talk to you later. Thanks, Derek. Till I'm at the top